look at this. Gee. And um, I just had two weeks in India uh, with John and Yvonne Walton, who are a fabulous couple and fabulous people as individuals and as a couple, and just had a, a whale of a time. Anyone been to India here? few people. Just uh, another planet, really. I thought I'd left planet New Zealand and landed on planet India and thought, my goodness, this is just so outside of uh, anything I'd actually seen. I mean, I've been to Cambodia, I've been to Manila, um, but it's just another level of everything. It's another level of people, it's another level of busyness, it's another level of pollution, it's another level of poverty, There's just, and it's another level of temperature. Man, it is warm uh, around this time of the year. I think we hit about 38 degrees as an average, 40, 42, 45, with a humidity of 100%. And when you go into their meetings and you have to preach in, in trousers, uh, you know, and I only took shoes with me and, and light shirts, it's pretty hot when you have one fan going in all. <laughs> so uh, you drink, yeah, exactly. So you drink a lot of water, which is good. Um, but I had a whale of a time. And I'd like to tell you this limp has been from being chased by, you know, um, sort of um, heavy-duty Muslims or something uh, when I preached the gospel in the, in the cities, but no, it wasn't. It's just my dodgy knee that's playing up. But, um, you know, I just, uh, I guess, had my eyes open to another level again. And if there's one thing about this country that, that we, you know, I'm challenged never to take for granted is just the blessing that's on this country and how we are truly blessed. And we cannot just have that for ourselves. I mean, just those words, you know, it's just like we've got to bless to be a blessing, bless to make a difference, bless to change other people's environments and atmospheres and our own as we do it, amen? You know, we're not here just to make up the numbers. We're not here just to consume oxygen. We're not here on planet Earth just for us. We're here for other people. We're here, as Jesus, the reason Jesus came was for other people. He came for you. He could have stayed in heaven. He could have stayed in the most incredible environment of perfection, but he didn't. He chose to come to earth. He chose to die on a cross. He chose to, to all of you know, the purity of, of heaven, chose to come down into this polluted country world for you. That's phenomenal, isn't it? You can grab the revelation of that love. It's transforming. And, you know, the people of India are fantastic. I connected with this, this one guy, Francis, who, uh, you know, you, you go, you meet a whole lot of people, and, and this is just, you know, natural life, you know, and it was just a real connection with him and, and, and his wife and what they're trying to accomplish. And so I don't know what that means going forward. You know, we're staying in contact and just praying into that. And who knows, there may be a door there that God wants us to move in and, and be part of and just seeing the kingdom develop there in India as well. But um, it was an awesome time, an awesome time. Got to uh, lay hands on a lot of people, got to speak uh, in and just, you know, like in, into English speaking communities as well as Hindi. Um, the worship is slightly different. It was quite interesting. I mean, I, I went and spoke at one place. And uh, I just couldn't stop laughing. There was the person on a keyboard about half the size of that, and, and he had everything on there. He had drums, electric guitar, guitar, even vocals, I think. So he was hitting buttons, and there was these three singers, and I'm, you know, it's a good opportunity to sing in tongues. You haven't got a clue what they're singing, and the words are all in Hindi, so I'm like, okay, well, here we go. God, I'll just sing in tongues and make my own words up, uh, which I, we should be doing here as well. But... Um, it's good to be back with you guys. And I just want to, um, just with tag on what Mike said before, I just want to thank everybody here that does give 
uh, to this house that, that releases, uh, I guess, God's money, what God stewards to us and gives back to him that the kingdom would be developed and built here. And for those that have been here a long time and just over the years generously just given and, and continue to give. So just thank you for, 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 for that. Um, and I'm sure God will honour you and bless you for that. It's not why we do it, but um, you know, part of his father heart is just to release when he sees a heart that wants to steward and, and live for him. But I want to sh- start with a story this morning. And I think the story is a, a powerful story. And as I've said, I've just, I guess, in, in looking around India and seeing people that, that you know, come up to your window and have no hands and bang on your door asking, begging for food, to see children sleeping under... Um, you know, bridges with, with the whole family where cars are literally going past their head and the exhaust of cars just consume right next to their faces. You know, Jesus said these words. He says, you know, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your compassion. Now, we're going to look at that this morning. I want love. You see, we can do a whole lot of things. We can, we can, we can give to God. We can lay our lives down. But if it's not done with a heart of compassion... If it's not done from a motivation of love, then it can just be a whole lot of things that really are self-serving. We can come in here week in, week out. We can, we can be in this little sort of a bubble and never influence or affect the very world we're called to. And he says, you know, I, I like sacrifice. I want, I came down, I sacrificed my son for you. So sacrifice isn't wrong, but is it done through a heart of compassion? Is it done through a heart of love? Or is it done through a heart of something else? And, um, you know, I just sort of read this the other day. And, and um, thanks, Lisa Lamb. She sends me a whole lot of stuff. And, and um, you know, some of it takes ages to get through, but that doesn't matter because you get little gems like this. So thanks, Lisa. It says, a farmer had some puppies he needed to sell. He painted a sign advertising the four pups. And he set about nailing it to a post on the edge of his yard. As he was driving the last nail into the post, he felt a tug on his overalls. He looked down into the eyes of a little boy. Mister, he said, I want to buy one of your puppies. Well, said the farmer as he rubbed the sweat off the back of his neck. These puppies come from fine parents and cost a good deal of money. The boy dropped his head for a moment and reaching deep into his pocket, he pulled out a handful of chains and held it up to the farmer. I've got 39 cents. Is that enough to take a look? Sure, said the farmer. And with that, he let out a whistle. Here, Dolly, he called. Out from the doghouse and down the ramp ran Dolly, followed by four little pups, sorry, four little balls of fur. The little boy pressed his face against the chain link fence. His eyes danced with delight. As the dogs made their way to the fence, the little boy noticed something else stirring inside the doghouse. Slowly, another little ball appeared, this one noticeably smaller. Down the ramp it slid, then in a somewhat awkward manner, the little pup began hobbling toward the others, doing its best to catch up. I want that one, the little boy said, pointing to the runt. The farmer knelt down at the boy's side and said, Son, you don't want that puppy. He will never be able to run and play with you like these other dogs will. With that, the little boy stepped back from the fence, reached down and began rolling up one leg of his trousers. In doing so, he revealed a steel brace running down both sides of his legs, attaching itself to a specially made shoe. Looking back up at the farmer, he said, You see, sir, I don't run too well myself, and he will need someone who understands. Isn't that cool? With tears in his eyes, 
the farmer reached down and picked up the little pup. Holding it carefully, he handed it to the little boy. How much? asked the little boy. No charge, asked the farmer. There's no charge for love. No charge for love. Lord, I just pray today that as I bring forth what you've put on my heart, I pray, Lord, that we would be wrecked with love. I pray that that love would permeate our hearts. I pray, God, that love would determine every decision we make. I pray that love would be at the forefront of our thinking. I pray we would see others as you see them. I pray that we would not just look at the external of a person, Father, but we would see into the depth of their heart. We would see the, the potential that lies within each and every person, Father. I pray we would be people of the inside, not the external. People that see potential and speak life into people to see them be all they can be. I pray we would be like this young boy that had a heart of compassion because he'd walked a certain walk. He'd experienced certain things. And so Jesus, I pray that you would wreck us with love. Permeate our hearts with your love. We can't love others in our own natural love, Father, but we have the love of heaven in us. Allow that love to come forth, that unconditional, undeserving love. And God, I pray we would make a difference with what we have. In Jesus' name, amen. See, I love this this thought that love is the oxygen for kingdom living. Love is the oxygen for kingdom living. As I said before, I don't, I, I, personally, I just don't want to exist. I don't want to spend 80 odd years here, if I get that long, maybe longer, and just look back and go, you know, I just existed. What did you do with what I gave you? Not a lot. And my prayer is that as I continue to reach others and just continue to, you know, the, the thing that got me about India was put yourself in another man's shoes. It was this incredible young man of 30 that had been brought up in the slums of India from a, a tribe I think called Pajaras and there was just thousands upon thousands of these people, they, they can't read, they can't write, they don't value education because education doesn't bring money and they're so poor and he took us to this work that he's doing in his heart, he's from these people, he got saved at the age of 16 and his whole life is committed to these people to see kingdom explode where they are. He travels phenomenal distances. He's, he's just, just on the go through the power of God, just all over Mumbai, the Sydney. He took us to these slums, 80,000 people in an area of three kilometres. That's about the size of Palmerston North in just this minimal little area and the stench is disgusting. And you walk through this place and, and you, it's like a labyrinth and you know, my shoulders are almost touching both the sides of the walls and houses and there's just little holes where people live and we went into one place where they have some meetings and I'm not kidding you, it's about six foot by six foot and it's 15 children live there. And this young man has laid his life down, he's married with two children, his whole family are dedicated to bringing life into this environment because of love. Because the love he discovered. And you walk down and his children just playing in, I don't even know what colour you would call it. 
some sort of water. And what happens is when there's a tsunami and the sea comes in, it brings in all the stuff with it, and then it goes out and it just sits there. And there's kids with sores and scabs, and there's these dogs that look like, I don't know what they look like, they don't look like dogs we have here. And I said to this young man, I said, why do you do this? He said, because of love. Because Jesus came, took me from where I was, and he's educated himself. But love was the motivating factor. Not so much sacrifice. Is he sacrificing his life? You bet he is. Is he laying it down? You bet he is. Jesus came and sacrificed himself for us. But his motivation's compassion. It's not insecurity. It's not because it's what you're supposed to do. It's not because someone told me I have to do this. It's not because what we do as Christians is motivation. is compassion. It's love. And love is the oxygen for kingdom living. I want you to come with me to Matthew 9, um, verses 9 to 13. And I want to touch on something today that we have to be so weary of and we have to fight like mad in the sense of fight the good fight of faith in the spirit, not in the flesh, to stop permeating our own hearts in an environment like this because the church uh, over time, I'd say, has been known for its self-righteousness. And self-righteousness cannot have a place in, our, in my life. It can't have a place in my heart. And we're going to look at this passage, but God started to show me that the, the, the theme of this passage really is self-righteousness. And I think it's probably one of the most ugliest things in a person who thinks they are beyond someone else, who thinks they've arrived at a certain point, someone who, who thinks that, you know, well, I'm better than you or because I made a commitment at such and such a point of time, you know, and, and then they try and take this truth and then slap people upside the head with it instead of coming from a heart of compassion and love and fully understanding what Jesus came to do because Jesus said, I've come in the fullness of grace and truth. It's not an accident. It's not truth and grace. It's there for a particular purpose. So it goes grace and truth. So we don't dumb down the truth when we speak to people. We don't you know, take it out. No, we bring the fullness of truth, but you bring it in the fullness of grace, knowing what you've been saved from, with respect and gentleness and love. And you know what happens when you do that? 99.9% of people actually will embrace it. But if you want to be someone who brings those things like a sledgehammer, it's still truth. I think I've said this before, you know, sometimes people bring it like a fish and slap someone upside the head with like a fish. And they wonder why they get a reaction. But if you bring truth like with a nice plate of dinner and present it in front of someone and then allow the spirit to move in their own choices, it's a different scenario. And I'm going to talk about self-righteousness and, and um, how we can't have it in our own lives and in our midst and in a community like this because the reality is if, if, if the lost are going to come here and I believe they are then if they're confronted with self-righteousness they'll walk straight away if you're out there in the world and you're a self-righteous person they can smell you a mile away anyway it's, it's one thing I've found the Christians can't smell you but the, the, the world can smell you it's like when I went to one of those areas it's like what's that? That's just a self-righteous Christian walking by. And so I want to look at that this morning. Is that okay? So I've called this compassion trump sacrifice. That I say, there's this underlying theme that's here. 
And um, let's go there. Matthew 9, verses 9. It says, Matthew called. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his teacher, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? You actually just stop for a minute. You can actually you can feel and hear the distaste in those words. The disgust. It's like when Simon, you know, when, when the woman came at Jesus' feet and Simon the Pharisee said, if he knew who was touching him, ugh, what on earth is this man doing with these people? These tax collectors and these sinners. They're disgusting people. But Jesus is very comfortable with them. That's what I love about him. He's comfortable with everybody. Because he knows it's nothing to do with any of those things that we put levels on. He's just comfortable. He says he's reclining at the table. He's chilled out. And then he says these beautiful words. But when he heard this, he said this, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love what's going on in this, this thing. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I believe the main object lesson that Jesus wants everyone here to learn, right here, and wants us as a church to learn in 2011, is that sacrifice and service without love, leads to possibly self-righteousness. And self-righteousness has no place in his kingdom. You see, you can do things for people. You can be part of serving in this house and serving out there and, and have a sense of, if it's not what done with life, you owe me something. I'm doing this because you owe me. I'm doing it. Why? And, and you know, sometimes if you don't get a thank you for that, you get quite bitter and upset. But the reality is when we serve with compassion, when we serve people with love, when we lay us down with love, you don't expect any of those things. You don't even go looking for them. In fact, when they come, it's just a nice thing. But if you are sacrificing as for a, through a heart or, or giving through a heart of because I, 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 uh, it's what I do but I need to get something back, then there's a good possible chance of self-righteousness if it hasn't already built up in your life is going to start building up in your life and you'll start putting yourself ahead of others thinking, you know what, no one notices me. No one ever notices what I do. No one ever notices this. this, 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 this. And all of a sudden you become like one of these people that Jesus says, you know, you need to go away and learn something because you can't see what you've become. And that's one of the traits about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, it never sees itself. It actually doesn't recognize that it is self-righteous. I believe it's what Jesus is trying to say here. He's saying, you know, you guys don't actually recognize what you've become and who you are. Because I imagine they're thinking, going, what's he talking about? I'm not sick. Look at me. Fighting fit. Got it all together. Know the Bible inside out. I mean, sick. It's these Muppets here that are sick. Look at them. This 
woman of the night. Gosh, she's disgusting. I can smell her from here. And this tax collector. See, they were the lowest of the low. They're not today, are they, Mike? <laughs> Honoured people. <laughs> Thank you for the inland revenue. They give us back more money now, don't they? So we've got to bless them. It's good. But Jesus is trying to make this point here about self-righteousness. You see, he could detect their self-righteousness by what they said. See, the way you speak has a certain tone to it. The language that we use of self-righteousness, God will hear it. Others will actually hear it. And he hears it here by these words, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? I love Luke. In Luke it says that they grumbled. And I'm going to read you just 1 Timothy. uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. I think these words are beautiful. It says this, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. But these men grumbled. And Jesus says to them, you need to go away and discover a truth. You need to learn something through a process of revelation. That there's something in your heart that's not quite matching up. There's something in your heart that is different from why I came. Because you can't quite see these people as I see them. I'm very comfortable in their environment. I'm very comfortable hanging around them. And we need to be too. Because he sees our attitudes and he sees our judgments of our own heart towards others. Who maybe we don't feel quite match up to our standard or maybe God's standard in one way or another. See, self-righteousness always has a tendency to focus its attention on the external of a person and never the hidden potential that lies untapped in a person. You know, I imagine these people asking this question, what on earth is Jesus doing at Matthew's house? Instead of asking, why is he at Matthew's house? What's happening at Matthew's house? It's not happening here. And what's interesting, at the start of verse 9, it says that Jesus sees Matthew. See, Jesus sees things that we don't see. He sees people that we don't see. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was, in the day, pretty much a scumbag. And he's there at his table and he's probably adding up his money going, whoa, what am I, how many people am I going to rip off today and, and I'm going to make this beautiful killing and if I, if I do this and do that, you know, there's so much corruption in India, it's not funny. You bargain with the police to get off fines. And I imagine Matthew's a bit like this, he's probably bargaining with people and he's, he's you know, he's taking bits from here and taking, but Jesus sees him. I think I would have walked straight past him and thought, scumbag. But Jesus doesn't. He stops. Because why? Because he doesn't look at the external of a person. He looks at the potential of a person. And he sees something in Matthew that grabs his attention. Man, the man was invited to be part of the Super 12. Not the Super 14, but the Super 12. But he was a tax collector one day. In a moment of time, his life is about to change. 
His life is about to change because the Christ Jesus sees something in him because he has compassion in his heart, love. And says, this man will be a mighty man who will one day write a book about me and my truth. And so instead of asking, what on earth is he doing there? They should have asked, why is he there? What's about to unfold in this house? So a couple of questions for us today. Do we focus on the external of a person, what we can see and make a judgment call on? Do we focus on that more than the untapped potential on the inside, which is unseen? And do we see the people that Jesus sees and do we have compassion for them? Are we motivated, even compassion for the person beside you? Do you have love in your heart for the brother or sister that's in front of you, behind you? you know, when we come here, do we just come and do our own thing and go again? Or do we actually come as a family and actually start going, you know what? I'm stirred to go say hi to this person over here. I'm stirred. I wonder what's going on in their world. I wonder if there's something that I have or what I've been through that can help this person. But we never know because we don't see them through the eyes of Christ. and So we never choose to engage in someone else's world. And it's mainly because self is dominating our inside. Because, you know, that might cost me something, that might be time, but compassion, love is motivated to engage in others. Compassion and love is motivated to see beyond the external and come and bring wholeness. And as a family, you know, if we are going to be the light of the world as individuals and as a community, this is the sort of shift or, or maybe just a, a greater sense of walking into that we need to discover, I believe, as a family. Um, and I need to model that myself. And, and what is so sad, I think, about these religious men, because you know, on one aspect, we can, we can knock these religious men, but they were actually quite amazing. They were incredible. They were sold out for God. They were blinded, but their passion for God, their discipline, their desire for Him was quite an incredible thing. You know, their reading of the Word, their studying of the Word, their keeping the commandments and the ceremonies and the traditions and being devoted to living out the letter of the law was quite an amazing thing. And the Bible says that Jesus came to complete the law. So we are to be just as passionate, just as devoted to the things that these, these men were. But obviously we need to, you know, to realise and have sight that through the Spirit it illuminates a whole. And these guys missed this. But see, what they failed to grasp, I believe because of their own self-righteousness, is that you can do all these things and be technically correct. But if we don't have love and compassion as a first place priority in our hearts, which is people, and reaching out to people, then all these sacrifices, all this time spent with him can just be pointless. It can just be a waste of time because the heart in which it's done, it becomes more of a judgmental thing to think, you know, I'm better than you. And I look down on you as opposed to I'm coming to engage with you. So there's nothing wrong with all those things I've mentioned, but if we don't, if it's not motivated through a heart of love and compassion and 
Jesus came to us. He didn't stand back and go, you know, you've got to come up to me. Because the Bible says none of us make that mark, doesn't it? He came to, he saw, he went towards, he placed himself in those environments. Because there was no self-righteousness in him at all. But in these men there was plenty. And uh, verse 12, I'm just going to read that again, verse 12, 13. It says, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. I love the words of Christ when he's on the cross, when they've just beaten him, whipped him, and he is nailed. He doesn't say, you're dead when I get off this thing. (laughs) He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, you wait till, if you, you know what, if you actually maybe get anywhere near heaven, maybe I might kick you out. No, he says, Father, forgive. That's so powerful. And when Mary and John are at the foot of the cross and they're looking up to him, and they're weeping and they're mourning. I'm astounded, and I've said this before, I think, but where he is looking. Because he's not looking up to heaven. He's looking back down at the people that just killed him. Why? Because of compassion and love. I probably would have been looking up to the Father going, get me out of this mess. But he's looking down going, Father, forgive these men for what they have done because they do not know what they have done. Because there's not an ounce of vengeance in his heart. There is not an ounce of justice in his heart. There's just pure, unadulterated love and compassion. And it transforms people. And in fact, one of the centurions said, surely this man was the Son of God through the words he spoke. You see, there is, when you speak, there is love attached to your words. When we speak the word of God, transformation can happen in the heartbeat in someone's life when it's shared with love and compassion. Not out of a sense of duty or I've got to do this or I've got to share the gospel because Greg told me to. No, I want to because I'm stirred. And when I share it like that, people can see it. And this is the one we worship. It's amazing. The tragedy about self-righteousness is that it can actually believe and think it's doing God a favour. Have you ever met people that think they need to stick up for God? Have you ever met people that become Christians and they just sort of start to think, you know what? They've sort of forgotten where they've come from. They forget the grace that, that, that God has bestowed on them. And all of a sudden they, they come from this environment into another environment and they start wielding their sword, but not in a good way, but in a damaging way. And they now start thinking they've got to stick up for God and put the knife in for God and tell people how bad they are. I've met a few of those sorts of people and, you know, it, it does, all it does is smear God. All it does is smear the perspective of God in, in people's eyes. But self-righteousness loves to be right and put people in their place by condemning people with truth. So it feels that sense of justice instead of bringing life with truth, which Jesus modelled all of the time. See, when the woman was caught in adultery, he could have slain her, couldn't he? He could have actually just, just 
with his words destroyed her. It's what the righteous, self-righteous people wanted him to do. But all he says, and we know he draws in the sand and they come up, you know, whoever cast the, the first, whoever's, you know, got sin and cast the first stone, you've, you've got to go. And, and he says to her, don't do that or leave that lifestyle. Don't do it anymore. Grace and truth. Now, the Bible doesn't say what happened to her. So I'm going to get a bit creative and I'm going to say, I reckon in the moment and the time that her whole world changed, that this compassion, this love, this pure righteousness, when it was modelled, transformed her life. Who are you? Because she knows what she's supposed to get. And there's a linchpin of people after that who are the so-called church. But then the church turns up and starts to minister out of grace and truth. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be, but self-righteousness wants its pound of flesh. You know, it wants its justice. You owe me something. I've been doing this for so long and you owe it to me. You don't owe us anything. And I'll read John just 1.14 because these are these incredible words of Jesus becoming flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You see, this is what Martha didn't quite capture when she's supposed to be sitting at the feet. The self-righteousness of Martha. But she's supposed to be helping me. See, she's sacrificing, but not through a heart of love or compassion, just through a heart of doing. Because this is what you do as a Christian. I'm supposed to. And so she actually starts to have a go at her sister. But Jesus rebukes Martha and says, you worry about many things. You're anxious. She's actually caught up in anxiety, worrying about all the preparations. But it's interesting just her heart, how she turns on her sister. Why aren't you helping? We should be doing this. No. And Jesus alludes to that. See, self-righteousness doesn't have the revelation of grace. It might know it in its head, but it doesn't know it in its heart. The cross is a powerful thing. And when Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. And the grace that we need to capture through the revelation of that is, is another thing. Self-righteousness always fails to realize that no matter how good it thinks it is, it always falls short itself of God's standard. There is no class system in the kingdom and there is no place for self-righteousness in his kingdom. Where's the kingdom? Our hearts. There is no place for self-righteousness in our hearts as followers of Jesus, as individuals, and I said as a community. Because it's only by the grace of God, God's unmerited favour towards us, that makes any of us worthy. Amen? To even do what any of us do, even to be just part of his family. None of us are worthy of that on our own merit. By his grace. And you know what really gets my goat are people who, like with the Christchurch earthquake, and some of the comments about this is God's wrath on 
this city and this nation because of homosexuality, this, this, this. And so the focus all becomes about the world and the wrath of God on the world because of, because of the way certain people choose to live their lives. And Christians you know, get on this bandwagon, get on the websites and pump all this stuff up. But what I find interesting is the Bible always says, look at your own, look, grab a mirror and bring a mirror up to your own face. Don't judge anyone else. Now I believe God allows things to happen. I don't believe God causes things to happen like that. And it's certainly not because of someone choosing to live a lifestyle of X, Y and Z. But my Bible says that the church needs to look at itself. If the church would actually repent, if the church would come and ask for forgiveness, if the church would seek my face, because why? Because we know better. And it always starts here, doesn't it? Never starts out there. It always starts here. Michael Jackson got it right when he said, what did he say? <laughs> I'm bad. Well, maybe not that, but I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Change. It's going to make a change for once in my life. See, I could have been the new Michael Jackson. <laughs> Not. But he talks about change on the inside. And, um, you know, I just there's, just... there's nothing worse that smears God than, than self-righteousness modelled out. Because he just wasn't, you know. Self-righteousness keeps us in bondage and we don't even know it. We can actually be in bondage to self-righteousness and we don't even know it. Paul said this in Galatians, it is for freedom that Jesus came. And as I said, I've met some people that think they are free, but in fact they're still bound to certain elements of their lives. And the scary thing or the sad thing is what those people do is they then take that and try and put it onto other people. And so the classic is, let's just pick one, is alcohol. You know, people that, or leaders that set up rules that say, as Christians you cannot drink, and then make that a law, and then enforce that on others, is bondage. Absolute bondage. Why? Because that person possibly or knew someone who struggled with alcohol and was from an alcoholic background or was an alcoholic themselves and then takes that and then wants to put it on everyone else as if everyone else has got the problem. No, it was you that had the problem. The Bible doesn't say that at all. And so what happens is if people buy into this, you know what happens? They're living in a form of bondage. If I miss with that sort of stuff, you know what I do? I also mess with your level of freedom. Because you're not free to choose that beer or not. You're doing it out of guilt. You're doing it out of feeling a sense of conviction through man. And God has never ever set it up like that. The whole thing is set up on freedom of choice. Choose to destroy your life, choose to find it. And so if I mess as a leader with that, I'm messing with that person's ability to find freedom. Does that make sense? Email me, come and see me afterwards if it doesn't. Because it is a very sensitive issue, isn't it? Oh, 
My mum sits under a leadership that says, as a leader, you cannot drink. Now, I understand the fact of where alcohol can take you. I understand the fact that it can be dangerous. I understand the damaging aspects of alcohol. So does he, Jesus. But he doesn't set that up as a law, as a principle. And we try and rationalise it and we say it's fruit juice and all these things. Why? Because he says it's for freedom. You know, you've got to be choose, you've got to choose to be able to destroy your life or choose to be able to find your life. But what self righteousness does, it comes along and says, No, no, no. I'm gonna put you and lock you down in this thing and you know. I've seen people do it. And they then push everybody away instead of bringing them towards them. Because they may a person may struggle in the area or just be different from them. And so this distance comes instead of coming together. Now we need wisdom. We need to be wise. So hear the other side of this thing. But we can't play. We can't mess around with those things. Because he hasn't. He's created up on a knife edge, isn't he? The whole thing is set up on a knife edge. He will never ever violate your freedom of choice. He tries to influence it with grace and truth. So we cannot try and violate people's freedom of choice. But we can come and try and influence it with, with grace and truth. Our obedience to the principle or the law, listen to this, must be motivated by understanding the why behind the principle, which comes out of a relationship with Christ. See, what sort of astounded me a little bit about being in India was... I was in a number of homes where I saw the wife treated as sort of a second-class person because of possibly Indian culture. And so the wife didn't eat with us. She prepared the meal and she would then go and sit in another room. And in one particular time, this man wanted, who was, and he was a lovely guy, but he wanted this napkin and it was about there from him. But he went called her name, she came running, grabbed the napkin and put it on and went again. And I thought, oh, I'd try that at home. <laughs> Did it work? I'm not that dumb, mate. I'm not going to try it at home. It was just a thought. <laughs> and I'm going, this is really interesting. Because, you know, when I... And you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm respecting other cultures, but we're living under the kingdom culture. The kingdom culture is to dominate all cultures, whether it's European, Samoan, Indian, whatever. When we come into this kingdom, it's kingdom culture and how that operates. I found myself getting in trouble because I'm praying for a number of marriages, telling the man to serve the wife. Telling the man to lay his life down for his wife, to love the wife like Christ loves the church. And you can see him going, whoa. Because you can get the principle, but do we understand the reason behind the principle? Do we understand the heart behind the principle? Do we understand the meaning behind the principle of serving him? And so there was, I was sort of a bit confused. Yvonne was quite interesting. She was sitting there trying to get the, the wife to sit at the table. Because she's like, oh, this just isn't right, you know. And we're being respectful of that culture. But 
We need to understand the why behind the principle. Our obedience may start from a place of discipline, but it must move to a place of desire. Otherwise, we do everything from a sense of obligation and having to, and although we think we are doing the right thing, we end up missing the right thing and not in the place where Jesus wants us. I'm going to read you one scripture and then we'll wrap it. I'm going to read that out again. Our obedience may start from a place of discipline, but it must move to a place of desire. Otherwise, we do everything from a sense of obligation or having to. And although we think we are doing the right thing, we end up missing the right thing and not in the place where Jesus wants us. So I'm going to read you Mark 2:23. It's tied into the Sabbath. And it happened, Mark 2:23. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, "Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath?" And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, what was the right thing to do in this scenario? Because one side said the right thing is not to do what the disciples did. But Jesus said, actually, what's the problem with this thing? The Pharisees had an issue with healing a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus, later on, as you read through, makes an ex- a very strong point about this as well. Because we can be so bound up and in bondage to principles and laws and miss the why behind them. Because in this situation, you see this law, this Sabbath law, and Jesus trumps it. Why? Because he says, guys, the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. Does this make sense? And so you can think you do the right thing, and we can think self-righteousness thinks it does the right thing, putting people in their place, and you're this, and you're that, and you're short of the mark, and you're here. Oh, haven't I done the right thing? God, me and you did some work today, God, didn't we? Eh? We put some people in their place. And the right thing is not the right thing. And we miss this mark. And let me read you this. Controversial US televangelist Reverend Pat Robertson has caused outrage with claims that Haiti was hit by an earthquake because of its people swore a pact to the devil. Haiti has been left devastated after yesterday's 7.0 earthquake with hospitals and schools destroyed and claims there could be over 100,000 people dead. Something happened a long time ago in Haiti and people might not want to talk about it, Robertson said. They were under the heel of the French and they got together and swore a pact to the devil. They said, we will serve you if you'll get us free from the French. True story. And so the devil said, okay, it's a deal. They kicked the French out. 
The Haitians revolted and got themselves free ever since. They've been cursed by one thing after the other. Robertson compared Haiti to its neighbouring nation, the Dominican Republic, which he said is prosperous, healthy and full of resorts. Haitians need to have a great turn to God. Well, they do, like we all do. And out of this tragedy, I'm optimistic something good may come, he said. Well, we hope we do, don't we? Same with Christchurch. He, his comments were labelled absurd by the New York Daily Times. Now, why would the devil free people from slavery, a reader wrote on the newspaper's website. This guy's not only a racist, but an ignorant piece of trash. Where is the, sorry, instead of doing what Jesus would do and help, he is condemning them because of some pact. Where is the Christian support and goodness pact? You need to find God yourself, my friend. Robertson also caused controversy in the wake of the 9-11 attacks when he claimed that homosexuals and liberal groups were partly responsible for terror strikes. I don't know what you guys think of that, but the Bible says there will come a day of judgment, a day where we will all stand before God. There's a day of judgment for Christians called the Bema Seat of Christ. It's not to do with separation from him, it's to do with rewards and inheritance and what have we done with our lives. But there is a day of judgment. And I'm not really going to go into that, but personally I don't, I don't think God is into that sort of stuff. I don't think God deliberately causes and makes things happen. I think he works in amongst it. And his grace abounds in it. I think, as I've said before, I think the church is called to wake up in, in some of these times. But to me, this man may have thought he was doing the right thing. But I don't think he was doing the right thing at all. And we have to be careful and, I believe, weary of this. And certainly God uses these things to wake us up from our slumber. I mean, the church, I was talking to Dave um, McGregor down in Christchurch who I connect with and he said it's just incredible what's happened to the church through this the coming together that's happened and I think that might be more the point but God doesn't want anyone to perish and in fact he's patient with mankind wanting all of mankind to be re- reconnected to him he sent his son to make way this possible and all we need to do is acknowledge this turn and live for him Self-righteousness has no place in our hearts. It has no place in this house. I mean, if there's one thing I'm proud of and I love this house is the fact that grace has always been modelled. It was the very thing that, that I walked into 13 years ago. I sensed the love of God and the grace of God. It's just phenomenal. And so I just want to encourage us today, you know, it's, um, I think it's something we have to be weary of because we just never know. It can sometimes creep up on us and sometimes we don't even know it's there. And it's not even just about sometimes just how we look at non-Christians, it's how we look at people in general and how we, how we treat people. And sometimes just thinking, you know, like, oh, you know, just, sometimes bitterness and resentment comes in because I don't get a thank you or I don't get a this or I don't get a that or they don't honour me or they don't acknowledge me. Someone does and his name is God. Someone sees. And so just think, it's always a bonus if someone gives you a pat on the back. It's a bonus. Because we're called to serve him first and foremost out of compassion, aren't we? And love. And if you're with us today and 
you've never ever made a decision to follow this person called Jesus. There are five things that happen. I'm just going to quickly read these things out. When a person, if, you, if you're with us and you say, you know what, Greg, I've, I've never made a commitment to follow this person called Christ. Why, why do you do it? What's it all about? And in a nutshell, it's about a relationship with a God that created you and longs to be in a relationship with you, but because of this thing called sin, which is in all of our lives, which is an imperfect nature, you're separated from him. And so Jesus was sent to die, to redeem that nature, to swap your imperfect nature, your sinful nature, with his perfect one, which means that when the day of judgment comes, but you are standing before God, he sees his son's nature in you, which makes you righteous and perfect. And God promises, Jesus says, I want to bring life and life abundantly here on earth. That doesn't mean life is going to be rosy. That doesn't mean life is just all going to click into place and I'm never going to go through things. In fact, Jesus promises you'll have tribulation and trials as a Christian. But it's the most incredible thing a person can do to be reconnected back to their Father. Amen. Sin was the problem. Jesus was the solution. And sometimes we can just think, you know, he just died for my sinful nature. No, he came to bring the most incredible relationship known to mankind. Sin was just the problem. Clear that out of the way, reconnect back up, and fullness of life comes. This is what happens. There's five things. We are set free from the bondage of our iniquity and sin. Iniquity being our nature that wants to, that's fallen. Sin is just a miss and mark. It's just some of the things that we do. It just misses the mark. Number two, we are delivered from the penalty of death. What an awesome thing. Jesus said, you know, if you come to me, you'll never die. You don't die. You live forever. The Spirit lives. And we get to choose or we get to be in a place where we live with Him. We are guaranteed an entrance to heaven We are given a brand new spirit as a down payment and sealed with his promise. Just think of like when they seal the hide of a cow. You're sealed with a new spirit and a seal with a promise and we are given his love, his wisdom and his power in our hearts to live an abundant life here on earth. Not just to one day get your ticket and go to a place called heaven but to have an impact here on earth before that day. So if you're with us today, and you go, Greg, I'm ready to accept those things. I'm ready. This is what I'm going to receive. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. The Bible says if you confess it with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you are reconnected. You are now a child of his. And so to anyone here, just give me a wave. If you're here today and you go, that's me. I want to make that decision. I want to join his family and become his child. Anyone here? If you're thinking about it, you want to discuss it more, come up and see me afterwards or one of the leaders or Mike or someone you've seen here thinking, I'm not ready yet, but I want to talk and come see that. But just, this is really the, the main point today is to leave you with this. Self-righteousness has no place in the kingdom of God. Self-righteousness has no place in our hearts. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for these great people. And Lord, as we continue to to live from a place of love and compassion and serve from that element, Lord. Help us to not 
be tripped up. Help us to not be deceived by the enemy that will try and take us down that pathway of self-righteousness, but help us to just continue to maintain that sense of humility and grace and humbleness, but knowing our authority, knowing our identity in you, and to be people that bring grace and truth to a world that so desperately need it, Father, as Mike just shared before. So, Father, I pray and I thank you for each person here that's part of this community and the, the amazing other church communities in this, in this city and this nation. And, Lord, I just pray as we continue to, to build your kingdom, Lord, that you just empower us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think we'll call it a day there, eh? We don't need a song. Just be stirred. I hope you've been stirred today. And come out tonight. Clay's going to be speaking. Um, and um, it's good to be back. Have a great day.